Good evening, everybody. It's good to see all of you, especially those of you who are our guests. Welcome uh, to the Hub this evening, and we really hope that this time is a meaningful time for you. We are at the end of a three-week series entitled Intentional. How do we do relationships deliberately? Uh, week one was me in friendship. Week two was me in courtship. And this week is me in marriage. Before I get going, I want to acknowledge uh, a whole bunch of people who have been married way more than I have. My wife and I have been married. Uh, I won't be able to remember all the names, but people could share what we're going to share in their sleep. The parties, uh, Fanzales, the Foxtons, who did our pre-marriage, by the way, uh, uh, and uh, LaRusa in the building, Kuzuayos, I see you, ma'am, there in the building as well. Um, and a whole bunch, Chantel, your lovely husband, the Redfield, Redcliffs, it's good to see you. So, so many people here who've done this more than we have. Um, today, we get to speak on me and marriage. Now, I literally landed an hour ago from Botswana. So, what you're going to hear is unrehearsed, somewhat. But it's lived, it's lived. Um, and uh, we're going to actually focus on very... Uh, on three simple points, and uh, here are the points. Find them quickly. One, how do you create intimacy in your marriage? Two, how do you pursue God's purpose through your marriage? And three, how do you build spiritual walls around your marriage? Now, uh, my wife is actually going to start off, but um, I wanted to say this. The Oh, before I forget, right at the end of the service, uh, she has prepared two questions that she hasn't shared with me, and I have prepared two questions that I haven't shared with her, and right at the end, we'll ask each other those questions, and hopefully, we'll still stay married. Let's just shake on it. <laughs> Pinky promise. Um, uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, a theologian once said this, and maybe we'll unpack as we go through the sermon. You will eventually always marry the wrong person. Shock and awe. Just, just, whoa! What's happening? Oh, the theology is bad. Wait, here's, here's what he meant. Is that ultimately, whoever you marry will change. And the change is necessary, and the change is good if it's in an upward direction. And I hope as we talk about marriage that those of you who are single... You don't throw yourself out of the discussion because really marriage at its core essence is about love and sanctification. If you want to experience love without sanctification, don't get married. Don't get married. But when you want a process whereby someone along with you is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit towards Christ-likeness, marriage is... is Part and parcel the journey that God takes us through. Now, God sanctifies you in your singleness through different means, through community, through friendships, through different relationships. But we know that marriage has a, a huge part, at least for the couple that, that, that is married together, sanctification is a huge part. And the reason I wanted to say that is that many times when we think of marriage, we think of the fuzzies. And we don't realize that actually there are the hardcore things that are foundational for the fuzzy things to happen. I've said this before. I don't have two kids because I love kids. I have two kids because my wife is hot. That's the only reason. 
I have two kids, right? So there is a, f oh, by the way, it's going to be PG-15, I think. Uh, I forgot, that's a last disclaimer. Uh, it's going to be about PG-14 stroke 15, but you'll be all right. Um, but my point is this, um, the, the core foundation of marriage is one simple word, covenant. And as we unpack, you're going to feel and sense this word throughout uh, as we talk. Uh, so really hope that it's helpful to you. Let me pray, and my wife will get it going. Lord, thank you. Privilege of being together as a family. Lord, as we engage this topic, I pray for your wisdom to go beyond our words, beyond what we can say, beyond what we have experienced. And I pray for everyone, regardless of what stage of life that they're in, that they will walk away with nuggets of your truth to help them as they walk in their journey of sanctification with you. May they experience your love as the word is preached. May they experience your challenge as the word is preached. And Lord, may, they, may we experience the truth and the grace that comes by your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Right, Good go. evening, everyone. So today is going to be uh, very conversational. And emotional. <laughs> yes, it may be just a touch emotional. Um, yeah, so a couple of people over the 10 years of us being married have asked, uh, have asked me, how did you know Siv was the one? And an authentic answer, right? We could deal with the theology of the one, is there really just one, et cetera, et cetera. But... The answer that always flows from my heart is that Siv becomes more the one every day. Every day he becomes more the one. An absolute gift from God. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know what he's doing right now. I'm trying to be like deep and like, you know. <laughs> but anyway, and, and that's and that is because I could have never foreseen the husband that I would have needed to have in the past 10 years. I, I could have never foreseen that. And all my ability to uh, discern or prophesy or strategize or, or anything, I could have never conjured up the kind of person that I needed to show up for me over this past 10 years. And without fail, and please don't get me wrong, Siv is not perfect, and I'm okay with that because I'm not perfect either. But without fail, because of a deep love for God and a, a reverence for God, he takes this husband thing very seriously. He knows that one day he's going to have to account to God about the, the kind of husband he was um, and the kind of father that he was. So that, that's how he becomes more than one, that deep reverence and connection to God and not taking for granted that because he's the head, as it were, that he can, he can do whatever he wants, however he wants. So thank you for being cool. <laughs> okay, so um, I want to start us off talking about how to create intimacy in your marriage. If we can go to the first two scriptures, please. So in Genesis 1, 
26 to 28, we see the, uh, the scripture saying, Then God said, Let us make uh, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move um, along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Next scripture, please. In Genesis 2, uh, starting from 20b, it says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed it up, um, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out from the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So from these scriptures, we see that God's purpose, God's intention uh, in marriage, in Adam and Eve coming together, was first and foremost oneness, right? The man will leave his father and mother, same for the woman, and they shall become one. They shall become an allegiance. They shall ally themselves to each other. There will be a unit. There will be a sense of, of unity, and from that unity will flow dominion, multiplication, subduing, and taking the earth. This, this oneness will allow this... this uh, kingdom dominion mandate to come about. So in order for oneness or a superior oneness, as it were, that Adam and Eve experienced, in order for that to be evident and manifest, they had to show up in a particular way. And if you've been a part of the hub or, you know, heard Greg or myself or Dando speak about relationship, it all boils down to this being naked and unashamed. And what that speaks to is that in every interaction, every interaction, every conversation that they had, every decision that they needed to make, um, you know, whatever, whatever decisions or interactions that they need to make, even those, those intimacy interactions, that physical intimacy, they needed to show up naked and unashamed in a state of being naked and unashamed. And what that speaks to is high transparency, and high security, high transparency, and high security. So you're like, oh, well, that's all good and well. <laughs> because they were in utopia, right? They were in paradise. So the fall happens, and now you get married to your other person, and you are feeling this, this, this tension, this hindrance between you and the other of being highly transparent and highly secure. And that sanctification process, that holiness process, is a conversation as allies and before God of dropping our guard and allowing ourselves to have full access to each other. And that's hard. That's difficult. And you have to put in the right um, tools and pillars to allow you to live in this place of high transparency and high security. And we're not, we're not perfect. 
We are on the journey, but we are convinced that God's best for us is to be fully known and fully loved and fully celebrated and generous in every way toward each other. I want my children to, to see that generosity lived out. I, I want to add to this that I've really struggled with this. I do show up naked, but unashamed <laughs> is hard. Um, just want to clarify what I'm talking about. Um, and I'll tell you why this has been hard for me. I grew up in a culture where being a man before your wife meant that you are the hero that never has a bad day. You are, you are the one whose shoulders are strong all the time. You know, when, when tough things happen, you are the one who presses the we're moving forward button. That, you know, her job is to lean on you and your job is to make sure you can get leaned on. And so when I started going through things and realizing, it was so bad actually, that for the first six months or year, I was so used to being the strong guy that it, it felt very vulnerable for me to do devotions with my wife. Because that was a secret place for me. That was the place where I came to God fully unashamed. And so we struggled for the first year to just read the Bible together. And we were pastors. We completely struggled because everything in me was, I'm not supposed to show any level of vulnerability uh, uh, towards my wife. And I, I, this is where the gospel comes in. The gospel actually allows you in marriage and in singleness to find high security and high vulnerability. Because you are so loved in God that you are secure in who you are and your vulnerability is not a, a, a reflection of weakness, but a reflection of the need of grace, right? And so when the gospel is at work in you, you, you begin to shift from the image that culture says you should be in marriage to the image that God says you can be in marriage. And my wife has been very kind with that, you know, and trying to draw things out of me, and many times I kind of shut it down, but to a point where now I, I, it's hard for me to make a decision or to think through a thought without calling her, going, man, I'm feeling this way. What do you think we should do? And I, one, it's because of the atmosphere she's created, but two, it is primarily because of allowing the gospel to continuously work being confronted by the grace and the truth of what the gospel says I need to show up as in marriage. So, Siv has full access to my gifting. Full access. He can call on it at any time. Full access, right? And we've had a, a really tough year. And um, I realized as much as I felt open and that I could be vulnerable, vulnerable with my husband, there were certain places that I just felt like, you know what, I need to deal with this by myself. And um, if you know me, I'm, I take good care of my soul, right? I'm very adamant that I, I have to take really good care of my soul. For the first time in a while, I found myself unable to take care of my soul. And... Um, I had to take a leap of faith. It wasn't just like a, you know, a cute decision. It was really a leap of faith because I, I'd lived in such self-preservation, even in my marriage. 
I'd learned how to preserve myself and look after myself in certain places that I hadn't allowed uh, Siv to come into. So the last couple of weeks <laughs> have required of me to humble myself and allow myself to be loved and encouraged and um, sometimes even rebuked in those places. And it's been a really, really challenging time. But without a shadow of a doubt, it has strengthened me and it has strengthened our marriage. Uh, my wife, as a result of that self-preservation, is very defensive. So if I say to her, yay, um, the Bourbos is burnt. But, but no, it's burnt because your children were running around. Like, oh, know, would you like to make the Bourbos? Yes, there we go. There we go. Yeah. I, I wanted to leave that part out, but hey. Um, um, I am very intense all the time. What you see behind the pulpit is the intensity is the same at home. Just, and I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Everything is on 10, right? And so Greg was actually saying, we shouldn't preach. We should just have an argument. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and in her self-preservation, I felt like, hey, am I, am I not enough for you to allow me to come in? And that was really hard for me. But on my end, I felt like... Um, with all my intensity, um, I felt that the more Marsha knows I'm angry, the more she'll change. And so when we have a tension and I feel hurt, instead of, you know, allowing her to say sorry and it's all good, I, I, I would times like prolong it for two days. Because I'm going, no, no, no. If I forgive her quickly, she won't understand. That, yo, this is bad, homie. Like, you need to change. Right? Again, here's the difference between me and the gospel. The gospel is very different. Right? Uh, the idea that anger causes someone to change is not gospel. The Bible says acceptance and serving causes someone to change. Now, it, it doesn't mean, you know, there's, there's really bad things that we need to confront. It doesn't mean that we don't confront issues, but it means that we are constantly serving each other even in uncomfortable places. So, in other words, when, uh, when we have an argument, Marsha loves touch, right? And so, I'll go, you are so wrong. You are so wrong. It's more like, you are so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when uh, we're lost lost some family members. Again, I'm trying to figure out. Marsha would be like, babe, please, or we in bed. Babe, please hug me or touch me, right? Cuddle, Cuddle right? Because for me, I'm like, yo, man, sleep. I'll sleep too. <laughs> and I don't really know sometimes, does cuddle mean cuddle? <laughs> or cuddle? <laughs> you know what I mean? So... It's trying to figure out which one do you actually want. <laughs> You're ungovernable. But I've come to realize that it's in those moments when she's asking for a cuddle that she's actually letting me in, that she's actually saying, hey, I feel safe with you. Um, and and it, it's also in moments where I'm feeling all intense and I'm, you know, trying to 
use my anger to change the situation where I realize, man, when, when, when Marsh is patient with me, she's reminding me of the gospel. She's reminding me of how Jesus loves me and serves me through patience even in my weakness. All right. Want to go to the next one? Okay, the next one is, oh, let me not forget, the, I'll say it in the next part. <laughs> let me say it now. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you get married, you realize that it's easier to love your kids unconditionally than it is to love your spouse unconditionally. It's a very important point, and here's why. When you meet your kids for the first time, they're like, ah, yeah, they depend on you, you know. There's nothing you wouldn't do for your kids. But when you meet your wife for the first time, she comes with some serious brokenness. And already you, you try and position your heart for the possible hurt that might come your way. And so the danger when you're married and you have kids, you can begin to find all your affection from your kids because you love them unconditionally. Even if they do anything wrong, they're your kids, man. You change their diapers. But when your wife does something or your spouse does something, there's that part of you that's learned to position yourself in a conditional state. Sanctification allows your heart to move with the gospel towards Christ's unconditional love for a broken people like you and I. It is why meditating on the gospel is essential for repentance and forgiveness. It really is. Okay, next point. Pursuing God's purpose through marriage. I want to talk about roles. There's there's a scripture in Ephesians 5 we know really well. Um, And it says, let me go to it before. Put back the side. That's going to be a surprise. Just hide that. There we go. Here's what it says. This might uh, be hard for some of you. Ephesians 5 says this. In fact, go back to the surprise. Okay, 22. I want to go to 22. It says this, wives. Okay, just listen. eh? Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body uh, uh, of, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just, you want some water? <laughs> Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and to present to present her to himself as a radiant church. Let me pause there. This text is preceded by this. So normally we read this and we go, wives submit, husband love. But here's the text that precedes it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so what's the Bible telling us? That actually... For God's purpose to be made manifest in marriage, there actually has to be a mutual submission. And you cannot, this is very important, you have to marry someone that doesn't just give you the feels, but someone you respect. Please hear me. Because it's in, it's in that, there's certain things that I'm not good at. In those places, I'm not trying to lead. And I tried. And we got broke as a result. <laughs> slept on floors, slept in cars. 
I'm like, yo, fam, no. Right? Submit unto one another. There is a mutual submission that is modeled in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have different roles, but they have the same authority. They don't sit on a triangular table. They sit on a round table whereby they are all equal but function with different roles. And so if you want purpose to ooze out of your marriage, there must be the ability to say, hey, you are great at this, and I'm, I'm with you all the way. There must be the ability to say, hey, you are better than me in this. What should we do? I would not be leading this service if Marsha hadn't told me that we would do it. I, when we were coming from Korea, I told her, I, I do not want, now, you guys weren't here. I told her, I do not want to do this. I do not want to disciple, do discipleship. She said, you will do it. And I did. Changed my life forever. I'm forever indebted. And her gift of discernment, her gift of understanding people has allowed me to be better in things that I am naturally weak at. Mutual submission precedes the roles. And if it doesn't precede the roles, we end up using the roles to abuse each other instead of using the roles to serve each other. A key word in marriage is this. And again, this goes back to the gospel. It is a word service. That Christ came to serve, not to be served. He came. He fulfilled his role. He, he, he gave himself to serve us so that we might come into the wholeness. Now, imagine if you're married to someone whose intention is to serve you and your intention is to serve them. And when you lack the capacity, you communicate, hey, I am struggling to serve you today. I, I, I'm in need of help today. I need you to help me. And that, as I said, that line, that, that surprise scripture, Ephesians 5 verse 21, is what precedes the roles. So I come from a family of some strong black women. Yeah. And when I say strong, I mean strong. You think I've got sass. Whatever you think of me, multiply that by like one zillion. And that's my, like, my aunts, my mom, they're, they're so strong. They're so opinionated in a, in a great way, right? They have opinions. And then there's the patriot and my dad. Oh, my goodness. My dad was such a great example uh, of submitting one unto the other. And he was just so gentle and kind and, and deferring where he needed to be deferring. And then there's the patriarchy of the culture that we live in. Um, and there's a little bit of feminism here and there, right? There's all kinds of reasons that we should defer our reasoning as to how we approach things, defer the gospel, and submit to culture and what culture says. So I, listen, I struggled with submission. <laughs> I did, and part of it was because I didn't understand it correctly. I really didn't understand it correctly. And again, for me, submission is allowing my husband to have full access to me, full access. Right? Knowing that because he is submitted to God, you do not want to submit to someone who is not submitted to God. You do not want that. Right? So fully knowing that he is submitted to God, that there's a posture of, of openness and deferring that I can have. And 
when we initially got married, um, we were speaking about purpose and like what we want to do and you know where we see ourselves in the future. And we quickly came to a place of deciding, deciding <laughs> that our purpose is not centered around Siv's calling. Our callings are not centered around who God has called them to be. Neither are they centered on me. Neither are we a family that revolves around our children. And that was an important decision that we needed to make. Our lives are God-centered. And our role, our, our, our worship to God is to make sure that we submit one unto the other, and that we allow our kids to become who God has called them to be, not the pastor's children, right? Not, you can fill in the blank, right? We all have these loads that we're carrying because of the expectations that our parents have put on us, that our families have put on us, that our communities have put on us, but our lives are God-centered. So when we need to make a decision, We take time to pray. We take time to consult. We take time to repent if we need to repent. But we really take the decisions that we make, like which school we take our children to, um, how long we're going to be here, and why we are here. We are not here because Siv is the pastor. No. We are here because as a family, we are called here. And we need to find a way that every single individual in the family can find their expression for the season. I hope that makes sense. That's great. That's great. Uh, My role as the head of the family is to serve the dreams of the family. It is not to impute my dreams on the family. And so when we're praying, we are praying to say, Lord, what have you made Kuza to be? What have you made Vi to be? What have you made me to be? What have you made Marsha to be? And together, what have you made us to be? My role, using that role, I have to come in and serve. I remember the first time my wife told me she wanted to start a business. Uh, we had just gotten married. In the same sentence, she told me she wanted to start a school, a restaurant, and work in government. And we're doing ministry at the time. Praise God, I don't know how, but I kept quiet. <laughs> you know? His face said everything. His face said everything, though. His he, face was just like... But here's the thing. My job is, is yes, there's a direction. Uh, because of my gifting, there's a directional thing that I do bring to the family. No doubt about it. But it has to come from a place of service, not from a place of um, uh, forcing things to move my way. And every time, this is key, every time we've moved in disunity, problems have happened. And it takes a while. So sometimes I might feel strongly about something, but it might take six months before we do it because we want the grace that comes with unity to be a part of the decision being made. We might have a good time fighting and arguing for those six months. Until I call Greg to give a prophetic word that leans towards my direction. But when we make that decision, we want to move in unity because he promises his blessing in unity. Ready to move on? 
I just want to touch on this. There are some times where decisions have been made. We've had an argument or we, we've had a conversation. Siv thinks we should go this way and I feel we should go that way. And sometimes Siv has said, I think we should go this way. I'm like, okay, cool. And we go that way and it's amazing. And then there are other times where he said, I think we should go this way. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Now, the discipline that I have had to exercise, and similarly for him, there are some times where he's deferred to, okay, let's try your way, and my way is not amazing. And I read the scripture uh, last week, and it says, love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. So my response in those situations, there are times where I felt like he should have just listened to me. I knew it, and I told him. And the challenge in my heart is to love him because it's not, this is not a sprint. This is a long-haul thing, right? And the way that we show up in those moments where we technically are feeling some shame and wanting to cover ourselves. The, the other partner needs to be the one that comes with the attitude of love never fails. I don't know how it works, but it works. That's good. All right, let me move on to the next one. Building spiritual walls around your marriage. I'm going to be a little bit quick on this one uh, for the sake of time. So, number one, um, just leave it on. Um, are you going to follow or what? <laughs> uh, so, number one, building spiritual walls is prayer. I want to encourage every single married couple to have a friend or a team that prays for your marriage. It is essential. It is key, right? The, the assumption that you have the goods to keep your marriage going is not true. You actually need spiritual grace to help you in the different season of your life. So we have people, here's how you do it. Go to someone and specifically ask them, would you pray for my family? I will send you prayer requests, da, da, da. We're going to trust you with certain information. We're asking you to pray for our family. Pray together, pray for your kids, pray for your future, and all those wonderful things. Praying together is essential. Two, read the word. Read the word together. Read the word over each other. Read the, declare the word over each other. Declare the word over your marriage. Remember when we used to, uh, when we had, uh, our kids were still younger, we used to go into their rooms and just, with the Bible, just declare scripture over those, over those rooms. Just, just declare scripture over our bedroom. Just declare the word. Why? Because we're saying, man, we want this word to go forth in our marriage, this word to go forth in our parenting. I want to hang on this a little bit. Community is part of you building spiritual walls. Okay. Um, guys, you, let me sidetrack. You need to talk about sex. Please hear me, Christians. Um, you need to. You actually need to ask the question, hey, did you like it when? And they go, no, I thought it was weird. <laughs> Why? Because I don't like whipped cream. Oh, okay. You understand what I'm saying? You need. We haven't had that conversation, guys. Okay. Just, like <laughs> Just trying to. But have that conversation if you need to. 
<laughs> yep. Just so a few parents just doing this. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm just preparing the road. You never know what could happen. Now, you need to talk about it. And here's why most of the couples I engage with, the fundamental problem is that you just don't talk enough. You don't talk enough honestly. That unashamed and naked allowing. And I'm telling you, that here's why sex and marriage is important. Many reasons. Sex and marriage is beautiful because the person you're having sex with is, is not only loving you, but they're dependent on God to love you. The, when, when you have sex outside marriage, two things happen. One, you, you either idolize the person that you're sleeping with, and you do everything within your power to to keep them and keep their affection and all those wonderful things. My second point was here somewhere. Lord, help me. There it is. Great. Or you withhold freedom in your, in, in your sexual intercourse. Why? Because you don't fully know the individual. Now, in marriage, there should be greater freedom because of covenant, and there should be a, no need to... I, Place the person as an idolatry. Why? Because your lives have been submitted because of worship, basically. And so when, when worship is, is mixed in, or we know that we worship God, that, you know, as I'm having intimacy with this person, I'm not drawing identity from them, but I'm drawing identity from God. I am not dependent. My, my identity is not defined but what, by what they say of me. There is a freedom and a, a place of rest in intimacy. I want to talk long about that, but we'll do that at another time. So sex is synonymous to trust. That's how the Bible approaches sexual intercourse. It doesn't approach it from a physical standpoint only. It approaches it from a heart level. It is why you are made one when you have sexual intercourse. It's beyond just a physical thing. It is a heart-level spiritual thing that is meant for the high-responsibility covenant that God gives to marriage. So let me talk about communication very quickly. When you're having an argument with your wife, or when you have an argument with your wife or your spouse, whatever it is, um, the ideal place to have an argument or a disagreement is the issues over there and both of you are here. Say, hey, you see the issue? Um, let's change it. And that's it. But sometimes, do you mind standing with your love? Sometimes the issue comes between you. And the only way you can deal with the issue is, is, is the more you are um, uh, 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 criticizing each other, the further away from each other you get, right? But the more you utilize your belief and your values, the closer you get to each other, right? The more you utilize repentance and forgiveness, the more you, you utilize the, the, the principles of the word, the closer you get to each other until you are able again to see the issue and deal with it. But there are other times where the situation is so big that when, even when you're trying to use your belief system and your values, it seems like you're not getting through. And here's where, Greg, do you mind coming up on stage quickly? Wife, can you stand there? Here's where, here's where the situation is so big, you can't get through each other. 
And what happens? Greg holds my hand and holds Marsha's hand, and he begins to tug on our belief, our values, on the things that matter the most to us until such a point. <laughs> this thing has no other space. Until such a point, again, we are back here to deal with the issue. Thank you, Greg. That was so amazing. Um, so, you need community because community is meant to, and this is why it's so important to, be, to not be unequally yoked. Because when you come to a clash, when you come to an issue that is too big, you, you, you need someone who can tug on your beliefs and values to draw you to a place where you can see the issue as it is. You want to add to that? I am quite conscious of the time, so I don't know if I should add to that. All right, cool. Lastly, uh, you, you need to invest in your marriage. Um, when we came into this year, um, we had been back from Korea for about four years. And man, Korea was amazing for us. We came back thinking, listen, this marriage thing is a breeze. You know, we were getting each other, finishing each other's sentences, just in that vibe. Yo, you know what I'm thinking? Yes, I know what you're thinking. We're thinking the same thing, right? <clears throat> and we coasted into 2018. And we didn't spend enough time investing, spend enough time refreshing our love and uh, our affection and our disciplines for each other until we had the first death. And all of a sudden, during that time, there were holes in the marriage, but yet there was mourning. And what made it so hard was I was trying to tell Marsha about the holes, but it was making her upset because she just wants to mourn. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but yo, fam, it, like it's bad. We're, we're, we're going to sink, right? And it's because we didn't put deliberate investing over the last year. We allowed 2017 to be here when we're coasting instead of plowing into our marriage deliberately so that we can see, oh my word, actually there's a crack here. I didn't realize there was a crack here. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's engage. Let's bring someone in to help us uh, in our marriage. All right. One question from you. One question from me. And then we close. Thanks. I just finished speaking. I, I'm not ready. That's why I'm saying ask a question so I can speak. All right. Um, how have you changed in marriage? Hmm. And uh, also, why don't you cook as much as you used to? It's okay. <laughs> Yes. Feel free. Because we have two Which kids and we don't have a helper. You know. Yes. <laughs> um, how have I changed? Um, and this is going to sound so strange, but I have become more um, interdependent. Um, yeah, there's a... We... we the way we used to argue is that Siv would say, yo, there's something wrong. And I'd be like, no, there isn't. And he'd be like, no, there's really something wrong. And I'd be like, well, that's because you're looking at it from the wrong angle. If you stood here, then you would see, actually, there's nothing wrong. So you are the problem. You need to shift in order for us to be okay. So no, there isn't a problem. And... I had to learn, <laughs> I had to learn to be humble, 
to be gentle, to be sensitive. And as I've grown in being more humble, more gentle, and more sensitive, there's this deeper need that I have for his affection and his encouragement um, and his, his comfort, if that makes sense. So it, it speaks to that self-preservation a little bit. There was a point in, my ma- in our marriage where, listen, you could be gone for three months. I'll be okay. I've got a life. I'll be okay. And there's nothing, please don't hear me say having a life is wrong, but I'm talking about the way that you handle your soul in respect to the other person. So now I think I've changed in that I'm allowing Siv to fill my love spaces instead of I'm actually I'm going to ignore this love space or I'm just always going to go to God. Going to God is good, but sometimes God says, you need to go to Siv. Um, and I've been, I've grown in that way. So my question is around purity. How do you remain pure? Because it's easy to think purity is a pre-marriage thing, and once you're married, it's like, oh, I don't have to be concerned about that because, you know. <laughs> but how do you, how do you uh, maintain a sense of purity in your life? And I'm talking particularly about sexual purity. Oh, now you want to talk about sex. <laughs> All this time. You had a whole 30 minutes to talk about sex. Now. We... Okay. <clears throat> um, the primal way, I've shared this before. So for me, the primal way you stay pure is through love. The more you're in love, the more you say no to things that will affect that love. I love my wife. I am... Um, I haven't cried yet. Don't worry. No tears on me. <clears throat> I don't like to talk about my wife a lot because, um, you know, there's certain things that are sacred to you. Um, and that, that's sacred to me. Um, but I, I've failed enough times to know how deeply loved I am by God. And I've had the privilege to know how I'm deeply loved by my wife. That love, it messes with you. Because everything in you is trained to react. That love calms you. When you allow it to happen, it, it, it recalibrates things that you thought you, you, you would do. But, but all of a sudden, I remember, you remember the first time, um, just before we got married, I came from an abusive family. And I, and I said to you, man, I'm scared that one day I'll be so angry that I might hit you. I've never hit my wife. But from having a fear that I might hit her, uh, the love has recalibrated me so much that I'm, I am bothered when something has happened to her that had absolutely nothing to do with me. The, the rage, I can't even begin to tell you, that goes on in my soul is, is terrible. But also, uh, the recalibration for me has been such that, man, I am, I am uh, way more patient with myself, way more patient uh, uh, with my wife. And so love for me has allowed me to go, hey, we are going through a morning phase. We haven't had whatever, sex for a week. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> How long you want to stretch it? 
Some guys are like, what, for a week? No. <laughs> uh, we haven't made love for a week. Oh, my word. You know, there isn't anything in me that's going, at, at least at that time, oh, my word, I need this right now. Why? Because intimacy, when it's preceded by love, love actually births the physical intimacy. Respect births that physical intimacy. And so when we have those times where there isn't any physical thing happening, you feed off the love and respect because that is the birthplace of everything physical. And it should be the birthplace of everything physical uh, in your marriage. And outside that, I have got amazing people around me who check on me, check on my purity. How are you doing in this particular area? And how they check is they don't start with the sin, they start with the discipline. How are you in your word? How are you loving your wife? Because if there's anything faulty there, then they can point to the next thing. Have people who are accountable to calling you up rather than accountable to checking if you're going down. The more they call you up, the more they call you up in marriage. Now, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I go, hey, yo. I mean, we had some friends. Remember, we had some friends uh, and would say, yo, you haven't had sex for two weeks. Tonight, you're going home and you're doing the good thing. Discipline. Yes, right? But sometimes you need to do that. You need to have that what? But when you are accountable to people who call you up, even the hard moment of discipline is received with love. Um, I really want to end with this. I, I don't want you to miss this point. Sex is beautiful. Sex is created for us to experience our partner's partner in way that we have, you know, that our minds can't even fathom. Sex is a reflection of the gospel. It is a reflection of the kind of love that Christ wants to have with his people. And he has chosen for sex to happen in a place of high responsibility and high commitment. The problem, some of you having sex outside marriage, let me tell you what, your problem is not the sex. Your problem is what happens after the sex. That feeling of feeling like you're one, but you're not. But the other person has no responsibility to treat you like the one. And though you want him to, or want her to, they're not obliged to by any contract. And even though you still love one another and you live in the same household and you're not married, the problem with that, going back to the idolatry, this individual becomes the, the, the soul-defining uh, uh, place for your identity. It is why, after heights of love, people have deep thoughts of suicide. Because though there wasn't a high commitment, they lived in a high commitment zone that had absolutely no commitment. Marriage is meant for that place. Uh, sex is meant for that place. And so have high commitment, high covenant, and it will leave, lead to deep love. So maybe let's close there. Want to say anything else? All right, we'll close there. All right. We were going to have three scenarios that I think were going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, but unfortunately, we've run out of time. Sorry, Jess, I know uh, you, she was trying to kill me in the last 10 minutes. Um, I tried, Jess. <laughs> but I, I do want to pray uh, for all of us. And I want to pray also for those of you who are going through a trying time in your marriage. 
um, is a beautiful word that belongs squarely uh, in, in, in the Bible, in the Christian faith, but it also has a great place of belonging in marriage. And that is the word redemption. That's the word redemption. Nothing is unredeemable. No time lost, no harm done. Nothing is unredeemable. And I, I really want to pray that those of you who are going through the most, that you would trust God to redeem time, you trust God to redeem affection, <clears throat> but it takes you to be vulnerable um, to get to that place. And then I want to pray for those of you who are trusting God for a spouse. Outside God, your spouse is the one person that God has called to sanctify, to help sanctify your life. So choose well. Be free in your inter interactions. Be free in your pursuit. But choose well. Choose well. Because ultimately, whoever you say yes to must be someone that you don't only love, but someone you respect. It must be someone that you're not only willing to have chemistry with, but you're willing to be in covenant with. It must be someone that you're not only passionate for, but you are willing to be practical with. All of those attentions in marriage that we all need to have. Lord, bless everybody in this place. I pray for those who are single, believing that they are called to be in marriage. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for your grace to come upon them. Lord, I pray that in this place of waiting, you would, you would allow joy and peace to so flood their hearts that, Lord God, they would know that, that uh, who you are to them is not only enough, but it's what the soul needs for the season. But, Lord, I pray when the moment comes, when they move from walking alongside someone as a friend to turning to someone in a courtship relationship leading towards marriage, I pray that in that moment, they would have the patience, the discipline, the wisdom to choose wisely. So, Lord, I pray for us. I pray that this room would be filled with people who are filled with such love for you that that love oozes out in friendships, in courtships, and eventually those of, that have been called to marriage eventually in their marriage. Lord, we pray for every marriage represented in this room, and I, I thank you, God, that you would be a hedge of fire around every marriage. I thank you, God, that you would... Make yourself tangibly um, available in every marriage. I pray even tonight that as couples drive home, there would be such a deep awareness of the Holy Spirit. And through your cords of love and kindness that cannot be broken, that you would continue to draw us closer to you and closer to each other. Lord, no weapon formed against any marriage in this room will prosper. I thank you, Father, for high levels of transparency and high levels of security because we are rooted and grounded in an eternal love that cannot be shaken. So I say, Lord, I declare over every marriage, let that love flow. And where there's hindrance, Lord, let there be repentance. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be an upgrade that comes, Father, that every marriage would truly live out the purpose that you have designed for it. Bless us, keep us, cause your face to shine upon us. 
and all honor and all glory be unto you, Jehovah. Amen. All right. Amen.